morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. That's right, and if you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. And if you know the country codes, you can reach us from anywhere in the world. That's absolute fact. So why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction, maybe... Tell you just a little bit of something that might keep you from making a mistake. That's very valuable, free yep, information yep. right now, uh, I can tell help, you. Help you to solve something that's just been making you scratch your head. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times, a perspective from the outside can be invaluable because what I see is that you can start trying to solve a problem and you get more or less tunnel vision because you know all the things you've already done. Uh-huh. And so you never question the things you know that you've done. And someone else can come from the outside with a fresh view, go back to the basics and say, well, yeah, I did check this. We are, okay, well, let's check it again. Well, and then you see something you didn't see before. Correct. So many, many times that can be invaluable. I know at the shop sometimes if we get a tech who just gets bogged down on a certain job, a lot of times I'll just pull them off, put someone else on the job. Uh Uh-huh. And sometimes that new perspective, they can just go right to it. Right. And it's not that one guy is that much smarter than the other guy. It's just that he has a different perspective. He doesn't have any preconceived notions, so he walks in and – Right, he has no dog in that fight. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. So to speak. <laughs> hey, 291-6901 will get you right straight to us, put you up to the top of the list. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And just in case you don't get a chance, call in. Or something occurs to you during the week or even after we go off the radio today. That's right. You can always go to our website and send Lewis an email and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A. G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is to take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. Mm-hmm. That will get you to our site, and there is a contact bar on each and every page. You can click on that and fill out the little form and send it in, and Lewis will get it back to you within 24 hours. Oh, absolutely. Most times a lot faster than that, but it just depends on where I happen to be at the given moment. <laughs> All the time the email comes in? That's right. Most time I get announced back to you pretty quick because I check that several times during the day. Correct. Trying to answer them as promptly as possible. While you're on there, take a look around at the detailed topics. Lots and lots of good information. Put one on this morning on power windows. Uh-huh. And this is actually a not a new detailed topic. It's one I had posted several years ago, but we went back and just absolutely completely revamped it. Right. Things change. Things have changed and put in a lot more testing methods. So basically, it's a completely new article, but Great. it does contain some information we already had. We just revamped that portion of it and right. added a lot to it reposted it as a new detailed topic but it goes in and tells you how to diagnose power windows some things to look for on power windows uh-huh. uh, when they don't work because there's a number of things that can keep them from working most people think of the motor and certainly the motor is one component but right, there are also and, several switches and relays and right and you also have your new track system they've right, come out with which is regulators a, which is a real cheap way to get by with it in my opinion yeah it works on a uh, cable and pulleys now instead of actually slides and rollers right it used to be a parallel type gear scissor, system scissor right. type system that was pretty robust but for whatever reasons they have elected now to go to a cable drive system that's a lot lighter duty sure and when those break they're non-repairable it's pretty much a matter of replacing it and even replacing it has some little foibles there oh it does depending on the application that's right you can easily break a window glass or get your arm cut caught in there (laughs) (laughs) so this article goes you know all that gives you a lot of detail on it tells you some things even if you never want to fix a window it tells you how to prevent some problems with your windows that's great a real good article pop on there see what you think it's www.agcoauto.com that's a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com and i think you'll really like it and we're going to our lines with joey good morning joey 
Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning. I'm trying to help my son diagnose a problem. He's got a 2003 Chevy Suburban. Mm-hmm. His <laughs> this is his first car. Okay, okay. real economy minded car. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> truck. Anyway, got the 5.3. He bought it. At, it's a fleet vehicle at work, and they were real religious with their maintenance. Okay. And we looked over it real thorough. There's no leaks, no water in the oil. Believe it or not, this thing has 525,000 miles. Wow. Yeah, wow. most people do a lot of long trips with it. Yeah, they did a lot of highway use mm-hmm. with it. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, he got it. It ran fine for a week, and a couple of days ago, he goes to start it in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns over. Wouldn't start. Okay. 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 So we'll, I'll check it this evening. Same thing. Turns over. Wouldn't start. Or it would sputter, maybe run for a second. I pulled the cover off of the front of the throttle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a drive-by wire, but yes, anyway, sir. right. Spray some carburetor cleaner in there, and it fired right up. Mm-hmm. So I knew it wasn't a ignition issue, and it'll, like I said, it'll run about a second or two. I thought maybe right. it'd run out of gas, and maybe the fuel gauge was wrong. So we put five gallons of gas in it. Okay, same thing. It'll run for a second or two, mm-hmm. and then stop. I can hear. I put my, I, I listened by the gas tank mm-hmm. to see if I could hear the fuel pump prime. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, as soon as he turns the key on, I can hear the pump do its little prime and stop. And okay. So I'm hearing it now, whether yes, I've got fuel pressure, I and don't that's know. That's the thing, Joey. Right. It could be running but not producing enough pressure because on that particular engine, I believe you've got to have around 57 PSI for it to run. If okay. it's putting out 50 PSI, it's not going to run. It's not going to start. And it really? won't run. Okay. Yes, sir. So it could yeah. be running but not producing enough pressure. That would be my first thing i right. would want to do is to check the fuel pressure there is actually a fuel tap on that rail yeah. i think it's on the passenger side yeah if you go to my website right. and just type in fuel pressure there's an article on checking fuel pressure on gm vehicles and it shows you every rendition because they've changed it several times shows you how to check it but if you can get your hands on a fuel pressure gauge and check that fuel pressure that would be the starting point okay right well all you right. know power and your ground are all good back there because the if pumps you can are hear it running yeah yeah, and I also did pull the battery cables off of mm-hmm. the battery to check because that's, that's the first thing I told him. I said, well, if you got a bad connection, I said, that'll mess with the computer, the, it can. the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. But it was real clean. It was a new battery. It was real clean connections. One of the cleanest I've ever seen. Yes, sir. I would uh, just check to see if you've got adequate fuel pressure. Okay. Now, if you've got adequate fuel pressure, there are some other things that could be. But until you know that, it really wouldn't make sense to go because that could right. be – verified relatively easy i'm sure you could probably rent a fuel pressure gauge at one of the parts stores because they're kind of expensive to buy if you're not going to be using on a regular basis you don't want to go to that expense the whole test is going to take about 10 minutes yeah and that's what i figured that would be a way to and if you got power and ground at the pump you've got no fuel pressure then you know it's the pump sure therefore the tank comes out and yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, being a suburban, the tank has to come out. And it's you know, a big it's, tank. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll, we'll do we get, We'll cross that bridge if it comes. <laughs> when it comes. Okay, thanks, man. All right, George. All right, thanks, sir. man. Bye-bye. Right. 291-6901. We'll get you right straight to us, and we'll be glad to try to put you up the top of the list, answer any questions you might have. We got Ben online. Good morning, Ben. Morning, gentlemen. Yes, morning. sir. Got a, a Dodge 3500 at the squealers are showing on the brakes in the okay. back when you put the brakes on. So yes, sir. I, bu- I bought OEM Dodge pads. Okay. I've heard both ways that you've got to turn the rotors when mm-hmm. you put new brake pads on so that there's a texture to break them in. No, properly. sir, that is not true, Ben. That's not true. No, no sir. Okay, so if the rotor, I won't have any trouble just replacing Not at all. If the rotor is not warped, 
In other words, this is running perfectly true, and the surface is relatively smooth. And I say relatively smooth; it doesn't have a groove deep enough to catch a fingernail. Mm-hmm. Then it is perfectly fine to use it just like that. What you do need to do is take some soap and water, or a soap and water type cleaner, and a like a little bristle brush, and clean that rotor, because the surface of the rotor is going to be full of dust and debris off the old pads. And if you just put the pads on to embed in your in your new pads, and it can cause you some problems, but if you go in and just scrub it clean, the new OEM pad actually has a small, small layer of abrasive in the outer coating of that pad. That is going to scour that rotor, and it's going to seed it, and it's going to be perfectly usable after that. But it's best not to ever turn a rotor unless you absolutely have to, and because okay. you're taking metal off, and they're already too thin. Okay. That's all I needed. All righty. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Ben. Mm. Bye-bye. 2916901 is a number to get you right straight to us and get you up to the top of the list. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's just a great call that Ben made. I have seen thousands of shops that, for whatever reason, they say you got to turn roads every uh-huh. time. And I guess in their experience, maybe they didn't turn them one time and they had some squeal. But what is happening is that you are removing metal that you can ill afford to lose. Correct. They're already too thin. Yeah. The rotors are built to a minimum now. Instead of a maximum like they used to be. Well, at one time, a rotor was almost 60 thousandths of an inch bigger than the discard. Correct. Now, if you're lucky, they're 15 thousandths of an inch above discard. Some of them are even at discard when they're new. Right. So if you take any off, already at or under discard. discard. And as you remove metal... Number one, not that many people know how to turn a rotor properly, so you may be cutting some warp into it if you're uh-huh. not very, very careful and have a very good machine because the machine that cut that thing at the factory was a very high-end machine. A lot of shops may have an old brake lathe that's been beat up and banged on, and it's not that great. So you, the fact that you're not getting as good a finish as you had before. Well, and the way you hook the rotor to the machine has changed. Yes. Has changed because on the old days you had a, bear, a packable bearing and a race, you pull the bearings out and you turn through the races. Right. It gave you a good surface to mount to. Correct. Now you have a hubless rotor, which right. is just a rotor with a hole in it. Mm-hmm. So if you do not have the right attachments to attach that rotor to that lathe correctly, then you can already you, you know, can start tearing it up. Cut a warp into the rotor. And then you've got composite rotors and all that. They're just so light that you just can't get a decent surface finish. You add to that the fact that maybe the lathe hadn't been maintained as well as it should. Right. Most shops do not have the wherewithal to measure the surface finish, so they don't know how what kind of surface finish they're putting. It's not going to be as good as the finish that you've already got. That's right. And not only that, it's all for nothing because it's just not necessary to turn them in the first place. Well, and if you have a warped rotor... You can't turn it anyway. You can't turn it anyway, but... The price of rotors has come way down. You can buy a rotor cheaper than you can have one turn now. Yeah, probably so. because Depending on application. Right. They don't have the big hubs and all in them, so the rotors that are out there are generally less expensive. So most time it's best to either reuse what you've got if it's okay or if it's not, just, just replace, replace them it. Because you're sure. not going to come out getting them turned, except in a few extreme exceptions. There's always that exception that makes a rule. Oh, definitely. If you've got an F-350 and the rotor's $400, right. well, hey, we'll, we'll try, we'll try this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. Jerry, good morning, Jerry. Hello, hello, sir. How are you today? Doing just great, sir. I have a 2006 Chevrolet Silverado. Okay. It's a small V8. Yes, sir. When you pull up to a red light idle, the voltage on the battery falls almost all the way down. Really? How low does it go, Jerry? Sometimes it bottoms out. Sometimes it just goes halfway back from where it normally runs. Mm Mm-hmm. And that does it all the time it does that? It does it all the time. Okay. I've changed the alternator, yes, and sir. we've changed the battery, mm-hmm. and 
it still does. Yeah, I wouldn't think mm-hmm. it'd be either one of those for sure. I would say there's some wiring on the back of that alternator that gets messed up. The little B terminals can get messed up, and it's actually a revision where you can change some things on the wiring harness. We've done that quite a bit to address surging and stuff in the alternator. Sounds almost like an extreme condition with something like that. If it's not that, another thing you might check is the belt and the belt tensioner on the vehicle. Make sure that you've got a good belt. And I'm going to tell you, you can't look at a serpentine belt and tell if it's good or not because the grooves yeah. wear out and it's an EPDM belt. You're not going to see cracks in it. It's not going to crack. Uh, okay. And if the belt okay. tensioner wears out, it'll allow it to slip and you'll start to get those kind of conditions. How many miles do you have, Jerry? 85,000. Okay, so relatively low mileage. I would probably look into the wiring at the B terminal on the back side of that. There's a connector back there and you can either buy that connector from gm cut the old one off solder it in and change it or there is actually an update which i can't remember the particulars of it but it changes the way it energizes the fields and they had a service bulletin for that problem we've done that quite a bit we keep those terminals and the extra little jumper wires all in stock and that's something that can be done but that's most of the time the problem now does the battery ever get weak on you jerry or the battery stays up no, it uh, sometimes it's so, uh, so it's actually part. losing voltage. Right. It's not like a right. gauge problem or anything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would check those wiring at that. It could actually be wiring anywhere in the system. There's also a sensor over by the battery. That's a voltage sensor. That the way that particular alternator works, it's got five or six different charging strategies, and right. it could be something with that. Now, one thing you might just try, Jerry. You know the little tow haul button on the end of your gear shifter. Yeah. Push yeah. that tow haul button in. And see if it quits doing it. That's going to change the way it shifts. Yeah, it'll change and everything. the way it drives. But right. just see, but as, see a, as a test, just push that button in and see if it quits doing it, because that changes okay. the charging strategy on the uh, alternator. Okay. And if it does change it, then you're more likely into a sensor on the outside or something. Okay. All righty. Great. Uh, thank you. All right, Jerry. Help. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Two nine one six nine zero one will be the number to get in touch with us. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer tomorrow. Or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, AGCO says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and put you right up to the top of the list. And we've got Noah online. Good morning, Noah. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. The last caller provoked a question in me about my okay. 2011 Silverado. Okay. 
with a 6.2 motor. Yes, sir. Uh, 18,000 miles on it, but it's been doing it almost since new. I'm watching the voltmeter on the on the dash. Yes, sir. And 14 is, is straight up, and sometimes I think 18 is all the way to the right. I think so. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I look at it, and it's well below 14. I'd say it's down, must be down around 12. Okay. And then sometimes I'll look back, it'll be on 14, and, and then I'll look again, and it'll be like, let's see, 14, 15, between 15 and 16. It doesn't, it doesn't have a number, in other words, between the... Yes, sir, I'm right. Look. Yeah, and but I, I thought that was odd, and sometimes I will get the message on the DIC that the battery is low to crank the engine, you know, like yes, I've sir. got the radio on or something like that. Mm-hmm. And not too long after I got it, I had a, I want to say it was my GPS, I left it plugged up charging, it, and it ran the battery down in, in only like a week or so. Yes, sir. But it still seems to the charge odd. Now, it, is, is that normal for that well, thing it, to move that Yes, sir. It very well could be. That alternator has got a really weird, weird set of charging strategies. It doesn't have one strategy that it uses. I heard you talking about that. Yes, sir. It's got five or six different strategies depending on a number of factors. One is the way you're driving. Another is the condition of the battery. Another is the outside temperature and on and on. And it changes strategy, so it, the rate of charge may very well change. Now, if you've got a battery that is losing capacity, it may still be good enough to start the truck, but it's losing capacity. Well, it's going to drive the alternator a little bit berserk, and it's going to really charge high at times. It's going to drop down low at other times and all that. How old is the battery in the truck, Noah? Well, I mean, it's it, the truck. Original? Yeah. Okay, well, it's three uh, years old now, so you're getting uh, pretty close uh, to the end I of the— I bought it at the end of yeah, the... Yeah, it don't uh, matter when you bought it, it's when it was made. Well, yeah. Since 2011. It and it started wearing it out the second in, uh, it was put in. Right. Yeah, in March or, uh, March or, May, March or April of, of 11. 11 yeah, well, well this is February of 14, so you're right at three years. Right. So, yeah. three years... But the thing is, it's been doing it since it was almost brand new. Yeah, sir. Again, you may have a normal situation. They do change, but if the battery is getting weak, it's going to get much more noticeable. And let me tell you this, it's, it's got a what I did, and it, and it hasn't made any difference whatsoever. On the uh, driver's side up in front, you know, the battery's on the passenger yes, side next mm-hmm. to the firewall. Uh-huh. And on the driver's side up next to the uh, radiator support, it's got a, a tray for That's a battery. Right. For an auxiliary I put, battery. I put, Correct. I put a second battery in there and wired it what I think I've got. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty well, sure I got that it correct. can drive it crazy as well because you have to change the computer program if you can do that. The ones that come with two batteries have a different program. Yeah, well, so that's going to drive it berserk if it's two batteries. But it's still doing the same thing it yeah. was doing with one battery. Yeah, it's but, still doing yeah, that. Well, yeah, unless you know how to reprogram the computer to recognize that's not going to work. Oh, okay. So that could actually cause you more grief than than any help it's going to give you. I would say most likely it's going to be a normal situation. Those do change a good bit. And again, just like the last fella, if you put it on tow haul, push that button in, and see if uh-huh. it kind of changes it then okay. it's strategy because that changes the strategy to the tow haul strategy, which is going to okay. be pretty much maximum charge. So yeah. if you do that and it goes up high and hangs high, then it's probably mm. normal operation. But battery, a Delco battery, three years old, man, I'd be looking at a new battery pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. It's going to end up leaving you stranded well, like anyway. Like I said, it's, it's been consistent. It's done that yeah. ever since. Yeah, it's probably normal. It's probably like normal. Brand new. Yeah, probably normal operation. Okay. They will, they'll vary right. anywhere between 12 and 15 volts somewhere. Depending yeah. on and normal is around what, fourteen, right? And, that, and that's about what it does. It'll go all the way from yeah. twelve to They'll about do that. 15, 15 and a half. See if it sees a like. full charge on that battery, it doesn't need any more contribution. It's going to cut the alternator way back to cut load yeah. on the engine. 
and it kind of doesn't seem to be consistent. I put a well, uh, you're not going to realize what it's doing. You have no way to know what it's looking at. Because I put a, a trickle charge on a battery yeah. tender, and I know the charge ch- checking it, the battery was completely charged up, but yeah. yet the thing will still run way over past 14, you know. Yeah, but that's not the way it operates. It's looking at a number of different factors, like sulfation rate on the battery, and things that you can't see, and that's how it's going to base its strategy. And just trickle charging a battery is not going to check it. You yeah. have to actually load test that battery to see if it's got a bad cell in it. See, and the last thing that you have to remember is you're not looking at amperage. You're not looking at the amount the alternator is charging. What you're looking at is system voltage, which is very different from amperage. It could vary up and down quite a bit and not tell you how much or how little it's actually charging the battery. There may be a computer update for that. You might just check and see. Sometimes what GM will do is they'll change the strategy of the alternator. They'll come up with an update that may make it fluctuate less. But if it's been going three years like that, it's been that way since it was new, it never has lost a battery, and the battery's still good. i got to say it's probably the normal way the alternator's supposed to charge. Anyway, we got to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Good morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Keep punching with the victory crew when you're making me punch you with that bottle move. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Yep, and you drop a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And we really appreciate hearing from folks out of town or in town, for that matter. Sure, get different perspective on what's going on around the country. Things are a lot different than they are here this morning, I can tell you that. That's right. It's not too bad out there this morning. It's a little overcast. A little little bit overcast, a little bit cool, but not anything to Not like three feet of snow. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the truth? I know it. Tell you. A little ice storm shut this whole town down. Those people up. Boy, that was phenomenal, huh? I'm telling you. In the north, you know, three feet of snow, that's that's another day for them. Yeah. They (laughs) brush it off and keep going. Little ice shuts the whole town down here. Oh, absolutely, boy. They're closing schools, closing the interstates, closing everything down. Oh, yeah. Let's go back to our phone lines with Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I called you last week about my daughter's car, who Chevy dealer said had antifreeze in the transmission fluid mixed. Okay. Right. They wanted about $7,000 to fix it. Oh, goodness. Okay. So it just goes on with your last advertisement. <laughs> she went to another repair shop, mm-hmm. and they apologized for taking so long to diagnose it because they said they've tried everything in the book to try to find some reason to change the radiator. All the transmission. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong whatsoever. Wow. That's unusual. Hmm. Yeah. He said there was no mix whatsoever in there. Hmm. No, he pressure tested it high, low, Yes, vacuum. sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and found nothing wrong. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you, man, you just if something sounds fishy, it sure helps to go and get a second opinion. Yeah, less yeah, than $100. Second yeah. Second opinion works pretty good. He said the most you can do to the whole car on anything would be $2,000. Yeah, now it'd be fixing everything that it needs. It would be fixing everything it needs. Yeah, to right. Yeah. How old a vehicle is it, Richard? It's a 2008. Well, geez, that's pretty new. Yeah. And I got to say, if I remember right, that was a General Motors vehicle of some sort. They don't have much trouble with radiators busting in those. Some of the Nissans have had a great deal of problem with that. They had a defect. I think it was the Frontiers and the one that's like a Frontier. I don't remember what it is. The Titan? Was it? No, not no, Titan. No, not Titan. Titan's bigger. It's the Pathfinder. I think it's from 2005 up to maybe 2011. They had trouble with the radiators busting and getting cooled into the transmission, which wipes the transmission out. Got a lot of trouble with those particular vehicles, but that issue with the radiator busting and getting fluid in the transmission is not a real common one, particularly yeah, he, not on General Motors vehicles. Yeah, he said he called everybody he could think of, and he tried every test he could think of. And yeah, call. it's pretty simple to diagnose because either there is coolant in the transmission or not. You can probably just drop the pan on transmission, and you'll be able to see it if it's in there. And yeah, if not, no, yeah, if not, just go ahead and change the fluid and keep on going. Yeah, he said there's no cross contamination at all. The radiator was fine. Wow. Yeah. Nothing to indicate well, that whatsoever. Well, I sure am glad you got that resolved. Yeah, me too. And I just <laughs> want to pass on second opinions worth a lot when it comes to money. Absolutely. Exactly. And we always recommend that to anyone. If anything seems just a little out of line or just doesn't seem right, never hurts to get a second opinion. And sometimes yeah. the other guy may tell you the same thing. And in that case, you might go back to the first guy. But it just doesn't hurt. Cheap insurance, particularly on big repair. Yeah, that's about the reason she took the shop to begin with it because their heater didn't work. Mm-hmm. I said, well, why would transmission fluid in your water mixed not make your heater work? Yeah, it does sound a little funny. Yeah, it does, yeah. More likely on a heater not working, you're probably into like a, one of the actuators under the dash or something. And right. again, pretty easy to diagnose, Richard. All you have to do is touch two heater hoses. If they're both hot, then you know coolant's flowing through the heater core. And oh. if, if heater's flowing through the heater core and it's not hot, then it's got to be one of the actuators under the dash. If one hose is hot and the other hose is cold, then it's not flowing through the heater core. So, I mean, it's not rocket science. It just takes somebody who's willing to do a little bit of detective work. What it was is the radiator fluid was low. Yeah, okay. So it didn't get enough flow through the heater. Well, if it gets low, it'll do that as well. And, again, yeah. if, it's, if it's low, if it's there's low, a leak right. somewhere, so you need to find the leak. But, you know, hopefully it's not the radiator leaking into the transmission. Yeah, it wasn't. It's uh, in six years old. It comes to be down a little bit. So. Yeah, that's right. That's what they went from the low water to $7,000. <laughs> you know, I had a gentleman come in one time, and his heater wasn't working, and it was a Chevrolet truck. And same thing, someone had told him he needed, I don't know, it was about $2,000 worth of stuff to fix it. And the first thing that I did, I reached down, I touched two heater hoses. One's hot, and the other one's cold. So I said, well, this isn't right. So I went to take the cover off the engine to check the hose up. And when I took it off, I heard, Kush! and they had put the cover on wrong so that it pinched the hose off. So I took, put it back together, and it worked just fine. You're just blowing 160 degrees out of the heater. So called him back. I said, it's fixed. What do you mean it's fixed? I said, it's fixed. <laughs> you want me to go ahead and change the dash now anyway? But Yeah, a lot of times, I guess it's not only in the auto repair business, in every business, people who just kind of jump to conclusions are worse. And it doesn't ever hurt to get a second opinion, particularly on a large repair. <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks for calling, Appreciate Richard. You. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? That's a unfortunate situation that something like that happened. And I know that you would first say, okay, well, this is a crook who's trying to do, but 
Many times, it's not that the person is necessarily a crook. It could be that he's just incompetent. Sure. What could have happened is he may have an intake leak, which is where the coolant went. It allowed some oil to get in the water. He saw oil in the water and just assumed. Made the assumption. Correct. Which is a misdiagnosis. I mean, the end result to the customer is the same. You're getting charged for something that you didn't need. Right. And the worst part of it is, let's say they would have put a radiator and put a transmission, they may still have had the coolant leak. Correct. So then you're on top of whatever that charge was that is to correct. get the original repair fixed. And that is why, I guess, most part of almost every show, every week, we talk about diagnosing things and the importance of diagnosing things. And I think this just kind of nails it home. Right. Not every shop has a diagnostic culture. Some shops are geared towards just replacing stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can generally spot those shops because they have a big menu board out front. And they'll have tune-up this much, brake job this much. They have services listed on a menu board, kind of like a McDonald's where you walk in and it's a burger or a cheeseburger right. or go a happy in and meal. Basically, go in and order what you want. Correct. What that tells you is that they're not really big on diagnosis. Instead, what they want you to do is you diagnose the problem, you tell me what you want done, you come in, and we're like a pair of hands, we'll do the work. Right, and that's not the way it should be handled. Well, there's probably a place for people like that, and if you are an excellent diagnostician yourself but you don't care to do the work, you diagnose the problem, you know what it is, you take it in, they do the work, okay, that may work out fine. Uh-huh. But someone at some point in time is going to have to diagnose this problem, Right, and that, most people are not expert diagnosticians themselves. Sure, and you get into a situation where you diagnose it, you tell them what to do, you get your car back and still doing the same thing. Who do you have to blame? Well, you have no one to blame but yourself. Correct. And the shops that use menu pricing, that is more or less what they are saying to you is that these are the things we sell. Right. And when you go to a place like that, you just got to know what you're getting. If you're going in to buy XYZ, you know exactly what you want, that's what you want, that will work out okay. Mm -hmm. And if you're going in with a problem, for instance, you may think you want a transmission, but what you want is a car that shifts properly. Correct. Which may not be a transmission at all. It may be a throttle position sensor is bad. It may be a wire is broken wiring harness. It may be any of a thousand different things. And that's why many times you mistake what you want and you go in and you ask for the wrong thing and you end up getting the wrong thing. Right. When you go into a shop, you should not be asking for services. No. You need to give them symptoms. My car is doing this and I don't want it to. Or it's not doing this and I want it to. And I want it to. That's right. That is where you need to start with a shop. And the, the good shops will pull that information out of you when you go in. Well, that is correct. Most times we'll get folks who call and they'll say, okay, I want a tune-up. Okay, why do you want a tune-up? Well, I just want to tune-up on my car. It's time. No, no. What kind of problem are you trying to solve? Well, it idles rough when it's cold. Okay, okay there you uh, go. Now uh, we're at the root of the problem. Correct. Because a cold idle problem is not going to be a tune-up. If we go in and check the plugs and they're worn out and we see a plug wire that's maybe a little chafe, we change it. It needed a tune-up. It sure. did. But that wasn't going to fix your problem. Right. So And so you still got the same issue, and you're angry, but that's what you came in and asked for, and that's what you got. And if you go to the wrong type of shop for that type of application, and they've got tune-up on the board, you buy that, you get it. Well, it's going to still do the same thing. Nobody diagnosed the problem. Sure. Because that problem is more likely going to be a vacuum leak or something like that that when the engine is cold, it starts to lean out so it idles rough. Because it runs on a default system. That is correct. At When it's cold. Now, when it warms up, the O2 sensors come online. Mm-hmm. The computer starts monitoring what's going on in the engine. We're uh, lean. 
So let's add some fuel. The right. idle comes up. Everything starts it running fine. It just increases the pulse width on the injector, gives it more fuel to match the additional air, and so the idle comes back up. It's just covering it up. Now, what a sharp diagnostic tech will do is he's going to go in and read the fuel trim. Right. Is hey, we're adding 15% additional fuel here when it's why? cold. Why? Why? That is the question. Why? Why, why, why? Exactly. <laughs> why is it doing this? I remember when I was in school, that was one of the things they just drilled into our head ask the question why at least five times sure and then you might get to the answer but if you just go in and react to the symptoms it was sort of like you walk through the shop you see oil on the floor uh-huh. say why is there oil on the floor the lift is leaking why is the lift leaking because the seal failed why did the seal fail because the seal was inferior grade uh-huh. why was the seal inferior grade because management buys the cheapest parts they can get <laughs> now we know why there's all on the floor right <laughs> <laughs> Screaming at the guy standing next to the lift really ain't going to help anything. Nope, not at all. <laughs> so that's one of those things where a lot of times you just got to keep looking, looking, looking. And that's what the best shops are going to do. They are going to do a lot of detective work. And that's what this show, I guess every week we kind of talk about it. Maybe sometimes it bores people because uh-huh. they hear it over and over again. But it's almost at the root of every automotive problem you're ever going to have where someone has either failed to diagnose or failed to completely diagnose a problem. Right. And you bring your vehicle in and you talk to the, the guy behind the counter. He's going to ask you, he should be asking you the right questions. And let's just say you've got a noise that nobody else can find. Right. You don't just drop your car off. You ask to ride with the technician that's going to work on it. So you can actually point that noise out to him. That's right. Some things you got to remember when you bring your car in. Bring it in with enough fuel so the tech can drive it a couple miles. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not with the, the low fuel light on or anything like that. Right. Get with the tech. Go down the road, duplicate the noise, and tell him, hey, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want it not to do when I pick it up. Yeah. And that way, you're assured Or that, I want it to do this when I do pick it up that it doesn't do now. Exactly. That way, you're assured to get your vehicle fixed right the first time. Yeah, much, much, much and higher much probability of doing it. Yeah, it's going to cost less because he doesn't have to check a million things if he knows what thing it is that he's trying well, to fix. Well, and you tell him it has a noise. He gets in the car. He hears a noise. That's the one he goes after. Right. But when you get to pick your car up, you take it. It's still got the same noise, but it had multiple noises. Right. So you need to point out. And very often, a car may have a noise, and let's say it had this noise since it was new, and the owner no longer hears the noise just because they've heard it so much so many times. It doesn't times, bother them anymore. They just they ignore it. It's just right. part of the background. But when I get in this car, I've not heard that, so I hear that noise, I hear this noise, I hear this noise. Well, I can diagnose every one of those noises, but it's going to take time and it's going to cost you money. Correct. If you're only concerned about a certain noise, in other words, this noise is new, it wasn't there before, these other three noises were already there, well, the tech has no way to know that. Sure. So if you just bring it in and says it has noise, the odds of you getting either way more stuff than you want or the odds of you getting a bill for repairing stuff that you didn't want repaired go up exponentially. Sure, and that applies to anything you want done on your car, not just noises. Well, that's right. You Whether have to be a vibration or anything else, and you need to bring the vehicle in or make arrangements to bring the vehicle in under the conditions where the problem occurs. For instance, if it only occurs when it is 20 degrees outside, there's no sense bringing the vehicle in if it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow morning. Correct. Because I'm just it's not, not going to find it. Right. I'm going to have to wait until it's 20 degrees so I can see what it's doing, and then once I make a repair, I have to be able to test it under the conditions so if your vehicle does something first thing in the morning, you need to bring it in the night before. Right. And, and either make arrangements to be there right. with another vehicle the next morning mm-hmm. so you can show the tech what's going that's on. That's ideal. Right. Or if it does it every single time, that's probably not necessary. But things that are intermittent, 
it's going to save a whole, whole lot of time, money, and you get a much more accurate diagnosis if you can just give them more information. Because you got to remember, even the absolute best technician in the world is not a mind reader. He can't know what it is that you're thinking. Right. You have to tell him. And more to the point, you have to tell the service rider. Service rider has to tell the technician. So it's like that old game at the party. Yeah, I was just fixing to say. Yeah, where you start telling something on one end and it gets to the other end and it's a totally different story. Right. Uh, each time it gets relayed, something gets left out, something gets embellished. And therefore, when you ride with a tech, you're talking directly to the man that's going to fix your vehicle. Or woman, while, whoever it is. While, while he is driving it and while the condition is occurring. Exactly. That's the thing. So that just really, really cuts a whole lot of problems saves a whole lot of money and just makes it a whole lot better to get the car fixed. So something to remember, we're going to take one more quick little break and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strapanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291 6901. And you put a 225 in front of there, you can reach us from just about anywhere you might want to call from. And we still have a few minutes left, so if oh, you yeah. want to get your question answered live, you can do that in the next couple minutes. That's right. We'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, I had a fella in the shop yesterday, and, and this gentleman is, is one of my favorite customers. You, know, you like all your customers. You have uh-huh. certain ones you just get a little bit closer with. Right. And used to be a petroleum engineer at okay. the Exxon, Exxon plant here before it was Exxon Mobil. And he was the guy who actually would create the additives and some of the oils and so on and so forth. Really? Yeah, so extremely interesting guy to talk to. He was telling me about changing oils because like we've talked about in the automotive hour if you use one brand of oil and you switch to a different brand you could have problems so absolutely just right. absolutely don't ever do that because the metals and the different additives that we put in those are not compatible they can react one with another right each one is individual is an excellent product mm-hmm. but when you start mixing them you start getting problems you can have all kinds of interactions that no one could account for and he was telling me they had developed a new type of oil and they pumped it into a tank okay and when they told the guys working in the field to go and draw a sample off of it there was a big valve and they'd crack it about a eighth of a turn or whatever uh-huh. and nothing came out so okay they cracked it another eighth of a turn and nothing came out but they know there's right material in this tank uh, right so they called sam and he comes out and looks at it and kind of scratches his head <laughs> tells the guys to go get a protection suit uh-huh and turn it about a half a turn. So the guy goes get a protective suit on, and he goes out, and he grabs that valve and turns it about a half a turn, and 
<laughs> something about the consistency of jello comes out yeah and what it was the product that had been in the tank prior had reacted with the new product no kidding yeah so they had to call new jersey and find out what was going on but yeah it turned <laughs> into jello into jello wow <laughs> just kind of a funny story but yeah he said you don't ever mix all products correct everyone has a number of additives in it and it's sort of like gasoline or anything else. We've had this discussion a million times on the radio, and I know there are folks who are going to disagree with it, but gasoline is not gasoline is not gasoline. When it leaves the still and comes out, it may all be one product. Correct. But each manufacturer adds things to that gasoline, which makes it a unique product. Some of them even advertise That's that correct. They, they add different products. This refinery in Baton Rouge, the big Exxon refinery, may make gas for a lot of different companies, but they make it to different standards, and they make sure. it to different specifications. It may have the federally mandated amount of detergent in it, but it may not have the same detergents or as much detergent as their name brand gas has. Uh-huh. It may also not have other things that they add to their other brand of gas. It's kind of like one of those things guy told me a long time ago. He says, you never get more than you pay for. Right. No, you don't always get what you pay for, but, but you, you don't never ever. get more than you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> if this product is four or five cents a gallon cheaper, there's probably a reason. Something is most time not in there. Uh-huh. I'm not going to say always because you can't even say always, but I am a big, big proponent of using name brand fuel. Sure. And I know there are folks out there say, oh, I go to XYZ XY. department store and I buy my gas. And I've never had trouble. Okay, God bless you. I'm, I'm happy. You know, my father-in-law smoked cigarettes since he was 13 till he was 85 and never had a problem but then it pretty much ended up killing him right but sometimes you're just lucky you go a long ways and not have too much trouble but what we see we don't see one problem we see 30 cars a day and i see countless fuel systems come through with countless problems clogged injectors bad fuel pumps tanks full of sludge plugged up this plugged up that and inevitably when i ask the folks who are having major fuel system problems where do you buy your gas? I never hear Exxon or Chevron or Shell. Right. I always it's hear always XYZ here. or this store or that store or wherever's the cheapest or whatever. Right. And you do what you want to do, but if you think about it, if you're saving three, four cents a gallon, the average vehicle probably has a 15 to 20 gallon tank on it. Okay. Let's say 20, and okay. you're saving four cents. Or you saved 80 cents. Whole 80 cents. Yeah. And a fuel pump is $800. <laughs> and a set of injectors are probably $200 each plus the labor to change them. And you got eight of them. Yeah. Six, or more. Four, six, or eight, depending on how many that particular engine uses. Right. The point is, it's just not going to be cost effective to you. And it's kind of like extending all changes way, way out. I know folks that do it, and they say, okay, fine. But, again, you're not ever going to save enough money on an oil change to pay for changing a rear main seal. Well, and some Or of, even change a set of valve cover gaskets. Some, some of those owners of those vehicles don't keep them long enough to figure that to out. To see problems, yeah. Right. But we see it every day. Well, yeah, we see cars with 100-plus thousand miles on a daily basis, and we see all the problems that are being caused. If you buy a car new... And you keep it for maybe four or five years, and you put 50, 60, 70,000 miles. Right. You probably never see a problem. No, probably you never. You can just go on, trade it in, and move on. Get another on. one. And that's probably a viable strategy for a fellow like that. Well, if you can afford it. If you can afford it. Now, most people cannot afford to do that. Most people, particularly in South Louisiana, have to keep a car for 10 years or more because cars are now 35, 40 grand. Right. And on the cheap side. Yeah. I personally, you know, my new truck is a 2002 model. And I'm not even contemplating getting a new one for no. at least another 10 years. Oh, at least. So I'll be 22 years into this truck. 
I can't afford to push my oil changes out to seven or 8,000 miles. Right. Because I don't want to put a rear main seal in it. I don't want to have to change valve cover gas. I don't want to put a timing chain on it. Well, and, and that's the, the cheap stuff. Yeah. Think about an engine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we're getting 09s, 08s, needing engines right now. We're really seeing a lot more of that now than we ever saw in the past, ever since the extended, uh, extended oil, oil change. change intervals has become real popular, like they have in the last few years. And the manufacturers are hell-bent on telling you pretty much, oh, go, you can go a year, you can go 12,000 sure. miles, 6,000, 7,000, well, whatever the number. And some of your vehicles are burning more oil than, they, than the capacity in that interval. That's right. Using that much oil, you know, five, six quarts of oil in 8,000 miles. Well, that's right. So it's you, not unheard of. could end up running out of oil, and that's another problem we see quite a bit is cars coming in just out of oil, and they just literally burn the motor up. Whereas when people are changing their oil a little more frequently, you just didn't see that kind of problem. But the change oil interval is not based really on miles. Miles is a poor, poor indicator of changing oil. It's based on the type of use you get the vehicle. Correct. Because I went on vacation around Thanksgiving, and I put 3,000 miles on my car in one week. Uh-huh. Well, it would be senseless to come back and change all at that point. Because that all still looked like brand new. Well, it sure. It run 70 miles an hour for five, six, seven to eight hours a day. All the moisture got themed out. Right. And that is not scavenged a and... problem at all. But my normal driving is it may take me two months to put 1,000 miles on the car. Right. Because the car doesn't five get minutes. driven much. Well, now, 3,000 miles of that type of operation, that all is done. Man. Oh, yeah. It's full of moisture. It's really, really starting to sludge up. It's starting to build assets. It's starting to make liquid contaminants that are going to damage the engine. So... I have to know the difference in my driving, and most people probably don't have as radical a sweep of driving styles as I have. Well, you, my car generally sits, 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 and then it goes long, long, long distances. Yeah, but twice a year. Yeah, two you know, times two, a year. It right. takes a long, long trip. Rest time is sitting in the garage. Elaine may take it to the grocery store. She may take it to work once a week right. because I'm driving my truck most of the time. It doesn't get a lot of miles. So I am necessarily going to have to change my oil a lot more frequently on that vehicle right now when i do take those long trips i can calculate that in okay well this time i can go much longer uh-huh. i don't need to change at three thousand because i put three thousand miles on in a week i don't have to stop in a week and change my oil that would be <laughs> that would be senseless right i can go probably six seven thousand miles very safely under those conditions and and vehicles love to be driven like that i mean that is the ideal situation that put is it on ideal the highway conditions. and drive it mm-hmm. and what most people think is normal conditions are actually severe conditions right and what most people think are normal conditions would be like this is ideal conditions mm-hmm. so like the gentleman who called i think one of the first callers and he said he had five hundred thousand miles on a suburban correct but again it was a company vehicle and they were probably driving it all day long oh yeah it was taking a lot of real long trips yes so it under was. those conditions that vehicle will easily last 500,000 miles and I see we're just about totally out of time I want to thank all our people who have listened to us today called in today and put up with us right like thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends and go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating yeah I really appreciate those written ratings they move us up in the ratings and more people can hear us and also makes our day when we read them hey we appreciate you listening and have a great weekend Mm -hmm.